It's good to see you guys. Um, it's good to gather with God's people, worship together. Uh, most of you know we've been in the midst of a series, uh, going walking through the book of John. And we are going to be taking a kind of a one-week break from John this week. And um, we're going to be in the book of Genesis, actually, Genesis chapter 1. So it's not too hard to find it in your Bible. It's the very first book, and the very first chapter in the very first book uh, of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Um, so this is a passage that I had originally planned to preach back when we went through our series in Genesis at the beginning of the year. Uh, I was going to preach from this passage on March the 8th. Does anybody remember what happened right around March the 8th? No, we don't remember that, right? Yes, COVID hit. And our world's got turned upside down. Uh, so obviously everything changed uh, once uh, March, you know, I think March the 7th or March the 6th was when the announcement came out. Uh, we never ended up even having uh, uh, gathering for worship that day. And so I knew that I wanted to come back to this uh, passage because it's a very, very important passage uh, that I believe we need to cover. And so we decided now was uh, the right time uh, to do it. Um, this specific passage, Genesis 1, 26 to 28, is so tremendously important for understanding who we are as human beings, why God has made us, and why human life is so valuable. And so that's what we're going to be talking about uh, this morning. So open your Bibles, if you've got them, to Genesis 1, 26 to 28. If you don't have a Bible, uh, that's okay. You can follow along on the screen behind me. The words will be up there. I'm going to read God's Word, and then I'm going to pray, and then we will dive in. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's pray. God in heaven, the maker of all things, who spoke and the sun was created. Who spoke and the earth came into being. The one who separated the land from the waters, and the sky from the foundation of the earth. The one who, by your wisdom and creativity, created every single living thing on planet earth. From kangaroos, to elephants, to gnats and flies, to human beings. God, you made it all and you made it all for your glory. And God, you made human beings in your image, the crown of your creation. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. God, what a privilege you have given us to be made in your image so that we might know you. So that we have the capacity to have a relationship with you, to talk to you, to hear your voice, to love you, and to know your love for us. God, I pray that we would not leave here not understanding the significance of that this morning. That you would show us how that applies to our lives how it's immediately applicable, how it matters today that people are made in your image. 
God, give us soft, humble, malleable hearts this morning. May we not harden ourselves to your word. God, may you teach us and instruct us. God, may you convict us for ways in which we have mistreated fellow image bearers this morning. And may you show us how we are called to treat fellow image bearers. God, help me as I preach. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Who am I? God, you, you rescued me from my sin. I don't deserve anything. Help me as I preach in my weakness. Help us as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage speaks directly to the sanctity of human life. That phrase gets tossed around a lot. Um, The word sanctity is where we get the word sanctification. And the word sanctification simply means to make holy or to set apart. So when we talk about the sanctity of human life, what we're saying is that human life is valuable in a way that other life is not. And the reason that human life is so valuable is because of what we just read in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Human beings, male and female, are made in the image of God. We can't say that about any other living thing. And I think in light of of recent events, this passage is even more important today. And so I'm going to very specifically talk this morning about the sanctity of the life of the unborn. Because as I'm going to show you here in a minute, I believe it's probably the most urgent application of this passage. But the womb is not the only place that life is devalued across our culture. While we typically think of the, um, of the unborn when we hear the phrase sanctity of life nowadays, the doctrine of the sanctity of life applies to all of life from conception to the grave. The increasing division, hateful rhetoric, and violence all around us in the world act like warning signs telling us we desperately need to hear God's word from Genesis 1, 26 to 28 this morning. All of us. We need to understand what it means to be made in the image of God, what has gone wrong, and what God has done to make it right. So that's what we're going to do. So what does it mean to be made in God's image? Well, that word, the idea of the word image or likeness is that we are similar to but not identical to God. So let's think about some ways that we are like God. Well, like God, we, we can have meaningful relationships We can reason, we can love, we have feelings, we have morality and a sense of justice, we can create. These are all things that are unique to human beings that the rest of the animal kingdom doesn't have. So human beings are unique amongst God's creation. I mean, there's a, there's a reason now, maybe some of you guys are from the north, aren't as familiar with this, I'm not sure. I'm from the south, and so I used to drive by roadkill quite a bit, right? I don't give a passing glance driving by roadkill, but you would react much differently if you were to see a human body lying on the side of the road, wouldn't you? Why? It's because we know. 
We know that human life is distinct. We know that human life is valuable. Human beings are created in the image of God. Now, of course, we're like God, but we're not identical to God. There are plenty of ways in which we are not like God. Our wisdom is limited. God's is not. We can't be everywhere at once. God is omnipresent. We can grow weary and tired. God never sleeps or slumbers. He doesn't need naps. He doesn't need to go to sleep. He never tires. We die. (laughs) We're mortal. Our bodies decay. God doesn't. We're created beings. God is uncreated. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He has always been and He always will be. We can't create something from nothing. We can use raw materials and try to make something, but God created everything from nothing by the word of His mouth. We were created to bear the image of God much like a mirror reflects the likeness of a person standing in front of it. So similar but not exactly the same. So why did God create us in His image? What did He create us to do? Well, I think most importantly, God made us with the capacity to communicate, to worship, and to love so that we could be in a relationship with Him. I mean, horses don't sit around wondering what their purpose in life is. They're not like out in the field going, hmm, I wonder why God put me here. Right? Like, dogs don't seek after God. Dogs don't wonder, like, I wonder what God is like. You know, they don't worship Him. Dolphins don't worship their Maker. Only human beings have that capacity. And that's intentional. God created you that way. That's why you are here. But God also gave human beings mandates in Genesis chapter 1. He gave us a mandate to be faithful managers and to be fruitful multipliers. Let's talk about those two things for a second. God gave us a mandate to be faithful managers. Look in verse 26 of our passage. God says, let them, human beings, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps over the earth. So God, what this means is that God created Adam and Eve, the first human beings, and the rest of us to be stewards of his good creation. We are to bear God's image and to rule on God's behalf, on behalf of God's interests. This includes caring for all that God has created, including other people. And and, and it means caring for God's creation in in the way that He would have us to. With righteousness, with justice, with love. God also created us to be fruitful multipliers. There in verse 28... We read, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So God desires that we be fruitful and multiply human beings across the earth. Why? So that his image will be multiplied across the face of the earth. So Abraham Lincoln, one of the greatest leaders in American history, right? Abraham Lincoln did many great things for our country. And so to honor him, the United States put his image on pennies and on $5 bills, and so now the nation is filled with pennies and $5 bills with the image of Abraham Lincoln. It's a way that we honor his legacy and that we remember his impact upon our country. It brings God honor and glory as his image is multiplied across the face of the earth. So, to kind of recap, 
what did God create us to do? So the, the first human beings, Adam and Eve, had a perfect relationship with God here in the garden. He put them in the garden to care for it and to cultivate it as stewards. And they had all that they could possibly need. They were free to enjoy everything that God had made without, in a bit, without limit. And he told them, be fruitful and multiply, which is a really great win-win. Because God made the process by which we do that pretty enjoyable. Just saying. I mean, God gets glory as his image is multiplied and we get to make babies. Right? I mean, Adam and Eve didn't have it bad in the garden, did they? I mean, God gave them everything that they could possibly want. That's a good deal. That's a good setup they had. So what went wrong? Well, starting with Adam and Eve, we've all rebelled against God's creation mandate here in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and defied his authority, and we've all done the same. So we've rebelled against the mandate to exercise dominion as faithful managers. Rather than steward God's creation on his behalf, we have taken and worshipped what God has made and used it for our own selfish ends. So far from exercising dominion over creation, we've actually become enslaved to sin. God gave us good things like food and sex and land so that we could enjoy those things in a way that caused our hearts to rise up and worship to the giver. But instead, we've let those things have dominion over us. We've worshipped them and we've served them and we've used them and even abused them for our own selfish gain. We've also rebelled against the mandate to be fruitful and multiply. Instead of multiplying God's image across the earth, humanity multiplies evil across the earth. And that's not just my opinion. We see it all the way in Genesis chapter 6. It doesn't take long. Check this out. Genesis 6.1 says, Man multiplied across the face of the earth. And look four verses later. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's what's multiplying across the earth, not five chapters into the Bible. And because of a lack of concern for God's glory, there's also a lack of concern for those made in God's image. Because of a deep drive to serve self, sinful man uses and abuses other people made in God's image, especially the vulnerable among us. God is especially grieved by the oppression and the abuse of the weak and the defenseless because it violates both of these creation mandates. To steward his creation well and to be fruitful and multiply his image. One of the clearest places all of this shows up is in the oppression of the most defenseless among us, the unborn. The murder of children in the womb takes both mandates to care for God's creation as stewards and to multiply God's image through, both, through procreation and reverses them into a destructive force of defiance and rebellion against God. Abortion is an attack upon image bearers of God, which is an attack upon God himself. It's direct defiance against God's command to be fruitful and multiply. Now before I go any further, I want to point out a few things. Because I'm sure that what I just said landed like a bombshell for some of you. I'm aware that statistics indicate 
that there are almost certainly some people in this room whose lives have been touched in some way by abortion. Studies indicate that 43% of women getting abortions are regular church attenders. One in three women in America will have an abortion before the age of 45. In the average year, one out of five pregnancies is terminated. I want you to know, before we go any further, that I've been praying for you. And this is not a political speech. This is not a political issue. This is a spiritual issue. I'm not here to argue for a political party or candidate. I don't care about any of that stuff. I, I live for one kingdom and one government, and that's the kingdom of God. And I'm here to preach his word. And there's two important things everyone should know in this room that I want you to know before we go any further, including those whose lives have been touched by abortion. Number one, every single human being has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Apart from Jesus, every single one of us is deserving of God's wrath. I don't care if you're pro-life, pro-choice. I don't care if you've had an abortion. I don't care if you're the biggest you know, anti-abortion activist that there is in the history of the world. Apart from the blood of Jesus Christ, you are deserving of the wrath of God. All of us. The ground is level before the foot of the cross. It's cliche, but it's true. Second thing I want you to know is that the good news is that God loves to lavishly pour out his grace on sinners. So if you are a woman who has had an abortion, a doctor who has performed one, a legislator or a protester who demands them, there is grace for you. Christ died for sinners and his blood is sufficient to cover any sin. And oh, how I pray that you see the, the grace and the mercy that God is offering to you this morning. Nothing would give me more joy than for you to experience God's grace and forgiveness today. <clears throat> the reason this is such an urgent issue is that all human life is valuable from conception. Scripture bears witness to this. Psalm chapter 139 Verses 13 to 16 says this. The psalmist writes in prayer to God, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Just, just notice here the, the personal language of the psalmist. He says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. That implies personhood. There's a person in the womb, me. God did not knit together tissue or matter. He knitted a person in the womb. And also notice the great care and attention that God gives to life in the womb. Just look at some of the language. You knitted me together with his own hands. I was being made in secret, intricately woven. It says your eyes saw my unformed substance. God sees the child in the womb. His eyes are upon every single one. It says that in your book were written the days that were formed for me. God has, or no baby is an accident. No pregnancy is an accident. God ordained and is sovereign over it all. 
God's hands are all over the process of, a de- of the development of a baby in the womb. He's personally involved. And he takes great pleasure and delight in it. It's a miracle. I mean, it's unmistakably clear from God's word that life begins at conception. A baby in the womb is a human being. And not only does the word of God bear witness to it, but nature bears witness to this. It's, it's unmistakably clear. I mean, at 21 days, the heart starts beating. Numerous studies have shown that the baby in the womb can move and respond to stimulation in as early as six weeks. The baby's unique set of DNA is created at the moment of conception. That DNA is created. We have mountains of clear proof that life begins at conception. But despite clear testimony from creation and God's word, right now, human life in the womb is being attacked and discarded at an alarming rate. Abortion is by far the leading cause of death in the United States of America. In 2017, 863,000 babies were aborted in the womb, which is nearly one-fifth of all pregnancies. By comparison, 600,000 Americans died of cancer. 600,000 Americans died of cancer and 863,000 were aborted. In 2015, in New York City, more black babies were aborted than born. 22,800 black children were born, while 25,700 were aborted. Not only are abortions happening on a massive scale, the freedom to take the lives of babies in the womb is vigorously defended and proudly celebrated. Abortion is often disguised now as health care. Movements like Shout Your Abortion have gained steam to try to normalize what we all know deep down is evil. Suppress the truth by our unrighteousness. We live in an incredibly confused, deceived culture that calls good evil and evil good. Steve Calvin writes, There is inescapable schizophrenia in aborting a perfectly normal 22-week fetus while at the same hospital performing intrauterine surgery on its cousin. Make no mistake, this is not a political war. This is a spiritual war. Jesus said of Satan in John 8:44, he said he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Well, we're here to expose his lies this morning, and we're here to proclaim the truth of God's word. Satan hates God and wants to destroy those made in God's image. My friend Mark Campbell writes that one of Satan's primary tactics to promote a culture of death is deceiving individuals and whole cultures that child killing is an acceptable practice. Children are being sacrificed upon the altar of autonomy, freedom, and comfort. And the wrath of God is being stored up against wickedness like this. I want to be clear about that. Psalm chapter 7, verse 11 and 12 says that God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. And if a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. How could he not? How could he not at injustice like this? How could we fault God for being grieved and angry at the slaughter of hundreds of thousands of people? 
It would be unjust for God not to react strongly to such injustice. God hates the injustice of abortion and racism and sexual abuse in any other form of the strong oppressing the weak for selfish gain. It's all over Scripture. It grieves Him, and because He is a righteous and just God, He will not look the other way. There is wrath coming on account of these sins. But there is also really good news. Because as I said, God is merciful and gracious. And He is incredibly patient with sinners. The fact that we're still here and He hasn't wiped things out should tell us all we need to know about God's patience and about His mercy. Just look at the pervasive wickedness all around us. And the fact that God still causes the sun to rise and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, on the wicked and on the righteous, is evidence of His clear mercy. So, if you're here this morning, what do you do if you have participated in or are complicit in abortion or in any other type of sin? Well, let me tell you what you don't need to do. And I want you to hear me very clearly on this. This is what you don't need to do. Um, I, I watched a movie uh, recently called One Child Policy. It was about China's one child policy that they had in effect for a long time. And essentially, China had a policy where each family could only have one baby. And it was widely known that the government um, had uh, local officials who would go. And if they found out that a woman was pregnant with their second child, they would force abortions uh, on women, and there were tens of millions of children that were murdered in the womb that were aborted every single year. And there was one of the, uh, one of the women who was a nurse who worked for the communist, uh, Chinese Communist Party uh, was interviewed, and sa she said that during her career, she probably performed about twenty to 30,000 abortions on her own. And she felt this overwhelming just sense of guilt that she couldn't shake. She, she said, uh, quote, I know there will be a reckoning for what I've done. And she knew she had acted wickedly, and so she made it her life goal to help women with infertility have children as a way to try to make up for what she had done. Uh, she went to a Buddhist monk, and the Buddhist monk told her that every child you bring into the world will make up for 100 of the children that you kept from coming into the world. And so she had this room filled with pictures, and she, you could just see she was desperately trying to save as many children as she could to assuage her guilt. And sadly, I think this is a really honest look at how most people attempt to deal with their guilt and with their shame. They spend their lives trying to make up for that gnawing sense of, of condemnation, of, of shame, of guilt, hoping that they'll be able to do enough to receive mercy in the end. And I want you to know this morning, like, if you've had an abortion, you don't have to do that. Amen. Don't. Like, God offers you grace and mercy, and it's at free cost because Jesus died for your sin. He died for all sinners, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've strayed. I don't care if you've performed thousands of abortions like this woman. The blood of Jesus can cover her sin and yours too. You can receive grace this morning. That's because when Jesus died on the cross, what happened is that the wrath of God towards abortion and sexual assault and racism and abuse was poured out on the perfect Son of God, Jesus. 
in our place. And Jesus, who is the perfect image bearer, whose image has not been marred by sin, he never sinned, he never disobeyed God's law. He kept the law of God and he gives us his righteousness as a gift and it's all, it's received by faith alone. You can have it today. You can have it today. If, you've encur- if you encouraged your girlfriend to get an abortion, if you encouraged your daughter to get an abortion, if you've had one, if you've worked in an, an abortion mill, I don't care. Come to Jesus. This is one of the clearest, most, this, this is where the battle lines are, guys, on this issue in our culture. Wickedness is happening right under our nose. We can't stay quiet about it. We can't. We need to be gracious. We need to hold out liberally the grace of Jesus Christ for anyone who will come. But we cannot stay silent on this issue. As the church, it is incumbent upon us to speak on behalf of the oppressed. We must. How should the church respond? We must speak out against the wicked practice of abortion, even if it costs us everything. There's arguably no human more weak and defenseless defenseless than the unborn baby. Babies in the womb can't speak for or defend themselves. They can't audibly cry out in fear or pain. As God's people and as those who are stronger, we have an obligation to use our capabilities to speak up for the weak. Ephesians 5.11 says, Take no part in the fruitless works of darkness. Instead, expose them. It needs to be talked about and exposed because evil like this loves the darkness. This is why Satan wants it couched in terms of health care rather than what it really is. The best way to end the horror of abortion is to shine a big light of truth on it. Because once you know what's happening, you either have to harden your heart, look away and pretend that you didn't know, or repent. There's room for for disagreement on policy. Okay, I'm not here like advocating for a specific policy or or anything like that. I recognize it's a complicated legislative and legal issue with many layers. But I'm talking about speaking out against the specific evil of abortion. I'm talking about speaking out on the sanctity of life, which is a biblical issue. It's not a political issue. And that happens one conversation at a time, one person at a time. Yes, none of us in here really have... You know, we can't change the entire nation. There are a lot of things that are out of our control. But, you, but you, God has put you in a specific piece of the planet so that you can bear witness to the truth amongst the people he's put around you. And brothers and sisters, it may cost you to speak up on this issue. We should always approach this issue with grace. Like I said, we need to hold out the free offer of salvation in Jesus, the grace of Jesus that he offers. But remember... That John the Baptist lost his head for speaking up for righteousness. Jesus said in John 3.19, The darkness hates the light and does not come to the light, lest its works should be exposed. 
there is heavy spiritual resistance to this because it's a spiritual war. And by the way, this includes speaking up for and coming to the defense of all who are oppressed and vulnerable, not just the unborn. The disabled, those living in low-income areas, minorities who are underrepresented are all peoples we need to speak up for. This is a very clear biblical command all over Scripture. Proverbs 31.9, for example, says, Open your mouth. Judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Not only should we speak out, but we must pray. We must pray for justice unceasingly. Let us not neglect to intercede on behalf of those who are suffering and oppressed. I know that this has not been as regular a part of my prayer life as I want it to be. But we should regularly pray for an end to wicked practices like abortion and to injustice. We should pray for women who've had abortions and for doctors who perform them and for family members who pressure uh, them to get them and pray that God softens their heart, opens their eyes to His grace. We should pray for legislatures and judges in our country that they would make just and righteous laws and rulings for the good of all peoples, including those inside and outside the womb. We must speak, we must pray, and then we must serve the vulnerable. We must serve. One practical way to address abortion is to serve vulnerable families and get involved in adoption and foster care. This is a great way to show that we truly do believe that all of life is precious. That we do this as believers because... This is what God is like. As the body of Christ, we're called to care for the vulnerable just like God does. Psalm 68.5 says, Father to the fatherless and protector of widows is God in His holy habitation. That's what our God is like. If followers of Jesus will step up to support these families and provide safe homes for these children that need them, we can demonstrate the preciousness of life one child at a time. And that's why this morning I'm really excited to announce a new initiative at Pillar DC called Love the District to care for those in need in our city. And one of the main emphases of Love the District will be foster care and adoption. So there are, there are four primary initiatives as, as it relates to foster care and adoption that we're going to focus on here at Pillar. First, we're going to partner with DC 127's Communities for Families program. Uh, this program puts a team of advocates around a needy family in D.C. who is at risk of potentially losing their children to the foster system. It's, fo it's, it's foster care prevention so that we can prevent more children from entering into the system. Right now, D.C. has over 1,200 children in the foster system. 1,200. That's a really high number. And there's not near enough foster families, and there's not near enough families willing to adopt inside the district, because it's expensive to live here alone, and it's expensive especially to live here and to have children in D.C. And our goal with the Communities for Families program is to form a team around one of these families to do things like offer emotional support, to help babysit, to help get groceries, uh, so that we can support, especially these single moms, give them the support that they need so that they can continue to parent their children 
We want to help build healthy, strong families in D.C., and the Communities for Families program works to do that. And Walker and Emily Conkle, members at our church, are our, they are our official church advocates or uh, liaisons that are leading this team. And after the service at our resource, the church event downstairs, Walker's going to be sharing more about this opportunity and how you can get involved. So I'd encourage you, please stick around so that you can hear more about that. So the second initiative uh, that we're going to do as a church is we're going to promote and eventually, Lord willing, host foster care info nights for interested families that'll be led by uh, pillar that'll be led by DC 127. And so these info nights will be uh, actually official nights where if you come and you take place, uh, that will count towards you becoming licensed to be able to do foster care. So um, as I said, over 1,200 children in foster care in DC. There's a huge need for families. And the church should be standing at the front of the line. I mean, how could we not? We've been called to care for the most vulnerable and needy as image bearers of God because that's what God is like. And maybe you're not able right now to to foster, but there are other ways that you can serve. One of the huge needs right now is for those who become licensed to do respite care, which is so not just anybody can babysit uh, foster children. So people who are foster parents... For them to be able to to have a break or to be able to go have a date night or something like that, they need licensed people who are licensed by the district to be able to babysit foster children. Maybe you could sign up for that and get licensed so that you can help give a foster family who's taking in children into their home a break for a night. That's a great way that you can serve. And you can learn more about that by getting uh, talking to Walker uh, and getting involved at DC 127. The third initiative that I'm very excited about is that Pillar DC has created and we're going to be maintaining a grant fund for members of Pillar DC who wish to adopt. Uh, So members of Pillar DC who wish to adopt can apply for a grant of up to $5,000 through an application process overseen by the elders. And so uh, as somebody who's going through the process right now of adopting children, I can tell you that this is one of the more generous grants out there. I'm really, really excited about this. Um, one of the biggest barriers that keeps people from adopting children is finances. We want to do everything that we can to remove the barriers. We want to put our money where our mouth is because we're serious about this. We're not paying lip service to it. Guys, I want each one of you, I want you to seriously go home, even if you came in here this morning and you're hearing this and you're like, no, there's no way I would ever adopt or there's no way I would ever foster. Even if, you, if you're thinking that right now, I want you to commit to go home and seriously pray about it and lay it on the table and see and say, God, if you want to change my heart on this, I'm willing to let you change my heart. And I want you to seriously consider whether or not God may be leading you to foster or to adopt. One of my primary passions is that we would raise up church members here at Pillar DC who would meet this need. It's a huge need. Yes, the cost is really high. Yes, it's going to be a big sacrifice if you decide to do it. But it is so rewarding. So rewarding. Fourth, Pillar DC is going to support DC 127 financially. That's our fourth initiative. So uh, as Thomas mentioned earlier in our time of prayer, a portion of our budget uh, goes to support DC 127 and the work that they're doing in helping to catalyze and raise up foster and adoptive families all over the city and also the work that they're doing in supporting 
these vulnerable and at-risk families. It's a ton of great work that we're doing, and we're happy to partner with them. So I'm going to ask uh, Carrie and the worship team to come up, and we're going to uh, get ready to close uh, our time together. Um, some of you here, as we close, may be carrying the weight of guilt for sin done in secret. And maybe that's related to abortion. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's some other sin in your life. And, you know, maybe you're here this morning and you're not even sure how God feels about you. And the psalm that we read earlier, uh, Psalm 139, that, that psalm is themed around God's knowledge of us, like how intimately He knows us. In verses 1 and 2, it says, O oh Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. It goes on to describe how no matter where we go, we can't flee from God's presence. Even in the womb, His hand fashioned you and His eye was upon you. His eye has been upon you throughout your entire life. Like, He really knows you. And what's so amazing about this is I was thinking about just this just this morning is that if you are in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you can be fully known and fully loved. Like, fully known. He knows even the deepest, darkest things. The things that you deep down are so afraid that would ever be exposed that other people would know, He knows it. And He loves you. Like That's amazing. Fully known and fully loved in Christ. He sent His Son Jesus to die for you even while you were still a sinner. You don't have to do anything to clean yourself up. You don't have to fix yourself up. You don't have to try to make up for anything you've done. When, you were, when He fully knew you in your sin, He sent His Son Jesus to die for you. He loves you. Will you come to Him this morning? Will you come to Him? I'm going to invite you, if you want to come and place your faith in Jesus for the first time, we're going to have prayer counselors right there in the back, right outside these back doors. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And I invite you to go and pray with somebody. Maybe you, you are already a believer and you've placed your faith in Jesus, but you need to pray with somebody. Maybe you need to pray with somebody because uh, abortion has been something that's touched your life in the past and, and you just need to pray. Or, or maybe there's somebody in your life uh, that is considering having uh, an abortion and you want to pray for them. Or maybe you want to pray with somebody about how God may be leading you to respond to this message. Maybe you need to pray with somebody about whether or not God is calling you to foster or to adopt. I invite you to go uh, and, and pray with some of our prayer counselors in the back. I'll close with this quote by Wayne Grudem. Grudem writes, Every single human being, no matter how much the image of God is marred by sin or illness or weakness or age or any other disability, still has the status of being in God's image and therefore must be treated with the dignity and respect that is due God's image bearer. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for helping me this morning as I preached. Thank you for strengthening me. God, I pray that even right now your word would not return void, Lord, that hearts would not be hardened, but that right now walls would come down. 
right now, any resistance that may be up in our hearts, God, would just come crashing down, that people would see your grace, see your goodness, that every single person in this room would know that, God, if they confess their sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can run to you and find grace in our time of need. You welcome us with open arms. God, like the prodigal son, may we come running, and you'll come running just as fast towards us right now here in this moment. God, I pray that for believers here in this room, that you would remind them of your goodness and of your grace. God, that we would remember there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would compel us to speak out on behalf of the oppressed, specifically the unborn. Compel us, O oh God, drive us to our knees in prayer for the end of abortion. And God, compel us to serve. May we go to those who are vulnerable. Show us, God, exactly how you want us to respond to your word this morning. But I know this, we can't do nothing. We can't stay the same. We can't continue to sit still. We must act, oh God. So help us to do that. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.